And welcome to Taxing Matters, your one-stop audio shop for all things tax, brought to you by RPC. My name is Alice Kemp, and I will be your guide as we explore the sometimes hostile and ever-changing landscape that is the world of tax law and tax disputes. Taxing Matters brings you a fortnightly roadmap to guide you and your business through this labyrinth. In case any of you miss any crucial information or just want some bedtime reading, There is a full transcript of this and indeed every episode of Taxing Matters on our website at www.rpc.co.uk forward slash taxing matters. since the first tier tribunal tax chamber and the upper tribunal tax and chancery chamber replaced the special and general commissioners of income tax and the VAT and duties tribunal to create a consistent and professional system. So the tax law review committee thought it was about time that someone reviewed how the tax tribunal system as a whole was operating. A member of the committee which drafted the report, the tax tribunals, the next 10 years, available from the link in our show notes, Dr Michael Blackwell, Associate Professor of Tax Law at the London School of Economics, joins us to discuss his view of the report's findings. Dr Blackwell, welcome to Taxing Matters. Thank you. It's a pleasure to join you. If I can clarify at the outset, all the views I express today, I'm purely expressing in my personal capacity and not on behalf of the Tax Law Review Committee. Thank you. I should also first start by noting that the tax tribunals from this report are generally regarded positively and that they're seen as being an important specialist body and those who are looking to resolve more complex legal disputes see this as a very useful tool for thrashing out complex issues and indeed for just getting simple access to justice. Many of your respondents to the surveys noted that they were a good forum for access to justice and approached in a by and large balanced and fair way, but you found some concerns with the system as a whole. What were they in a nutshell? I think the overriding concern among the people we spoke to was delay. That was both the delay in getting to the tribunal and also the delay in the decision being released after the hearing. Now, it's worthwhile emphasising here that the people we spoke to were largely solicitors and barristers, and so these cases really represent the tip of the iceberg in terms of the complexity of cases heard by the tribunal. So there's no reason to imagine that this delay would necessarily be representative. There's no reason to think such extensive delay would happen in all the penalty disputes involving self-represented taxpayers or the disputes about the seizure of alcohol and associated penalties, for example, that forms a very large amount of the work of the tribunal. And what sort of basic reasons were noted as being contributing factors to that delay? A number of reasons. So first of all, we've got the delay in actually getting through the inquiry phase, which was mentioned by some people. Many attributed it to HMRC, Some attributed it to the taxpayer, but not really beyond avoidance cases. Then after that, some of the delay was actually just fixing a date and being able to find a date suitable for that particular hearing. This is often because HMRC and the taxpayer, of course, want particular counsel to represent them and their diaries can be full a year or more ahead, especially if the hearing's over several days. It can be quite difficult to find an appropriate date in the diary. And that date is only fixed, often fairly late on into the process as well. Then 
once you get to the hearing, part of the issue of delay was the delay between the judge concluding the hearing and the issuing of the decision, which varies substantially and can take over a year in some cases. Oh, that's quite a decent gap of time there. Are there any particular reasons that have been given for that delay between the hearing and the decision being released? Well, we've not interviewed judges in relation to this, partly because you need special permission from the judiciary if you're going to involve judges, and we didn't seek that for this particular project, not least because the tribunal service is quite overwhelmed at the moment with COVID and so forth. With the salaried judges, we feel it's partly a feature of their overall workload. They have so much case management to do, in addition to hearing cases and writing up decisions, that that creates a backlog, not least because, as it mentions in the report, there's been difficulty in recruitment over several years, and it appears that the tribunal is somewhat understaffed in that regard. With regard to the fee-paid judiciary, it does vary significantly with some judges regularly taking over one year to release a decision and others releasing decisions more promptly. So it does appear to be a cultural issue to some extent, maybe. There is this significant number of the respondents that you talk to, about 90% of them had experienced some form of delay. So what can we do to address it? Part of it is a resourcing issue, as I was discussing with the tribunal in part seeming under-resourced with regard to its judicial allocation. Part of it is about setting down clear expectations. And the Court of Appeal has done that in the past on many occasions, emphasising the importance of decisions being released promptly. And most recently in the case a few months ago, emphasising that the expectation was always within three months. That actually was in a decision of the High Court, but concerning an MTIC fraud. So it would appear that even in factually complex tax cases, the expectation of the Court of Appeal would be that decisions would be released within three months. How do we get to that point of those decisions being issued within the time frame that the Court of Appeal contemplates? Well, in fairness to the tribunal, it should be emphasised that it appears that they have been trying to address this. And so I do emphasise in the report that prior to the COVID pandemic, the tribunal seemed to have been addressing the issues. There were still some decisions that took quite a long time, but there were fewer of them. Unfortunately, the COVID pandemic has impacted on how many people go about their work life. And that, I think, has impacted on the tribunal as well. So hopefully, as we go towards this new normal, the tribunal continues to do as it was doing prior to the pandemic and reduces the backlog of late decisions. Partly, it's an issue of resourcing that hopefully will be addressed as well, as I know the tribunal does take this seriously. So on that issue of resourcing, in terms of this judicial resourcing shortfall, how has this manifested and what steps can be taken to reduce its impact? If you look at the reports of the senior president of the tribunals and then the president of each chamber writes a contribution to that report each year. For many years, there's been an emphasis that the tribunal is under-resourced in those reports in terms of its judicial allocation and also in terms of the administrative resources of the tribunal. It 
would hopefully be addressed with further recruitment to the tribunal. Also, emphasis within the tribunal, cultural change about the importance of releasing decisions within the three-month period that the Court of Appeal has emphasised as a desirable period for the release of decisions. I know that the tribunal will soon be recruiting new judges, so I'd encourage your listeners to consider if they are interested, and if so, to sign up for updates on the Judicial Appointments Commission website. You mentioned there that there has been shortfall in both the judiciary, which I think we've already talked about, and also the administrative staff. What factors have contributed, in your view, to this shortfall, and how do we go about addressing those? It appears from those reports I mentioned of the president of the First Tier Tribunal that the issue is really one of pay. Caseworkers are being trained up and then they're being poached by other government departments, including HMRC, on a very regular basis because they can afford to remunerate them at a greater rate. There we have the issue of it really being a financial one. If you wish to retain people of that skill level, then presumably you have to pay them what they're being paid in other parts of the civil service for doing that work. But of course, putting money into the tribunals is not always going to be first priority for government. Note in the report that there's a large section that deals about costs in terms of both the costs which can be awarded against taxpayers and also how exactly the question of costs shifting is to be decided in each phase of the process. Would you be able to expand a bit on that? During any inquiry, each side bears their own costs. And in most cases, each side bears their own costs in terms of the tribunal phase as well. The exceptions being if the party acts unreasonably or if cases a complex case and they don't elect out of the complex case regime. So the issue really is by cost shifting, we mean not being able to recover your costs if you win, whether that impedes access to justice or facilitates it. So if we are just having a dispute over a £100 penalty and you feel confident that you can represent yourself, then you're more likely to pursue that matter if you don't have the threat of having to pay HMRC's costs if you're unsuccessful. Because if you are unsuccessful, they're likely to be far more than £100. Conversely, if you've got a dispute for what in terms of the tribunal's work may be a fairly modest amount, say £50,000 worth in tax, then that may be legally complex to such an extent that you don't feel able to represent yourself and you need to get legal representation. And that legal representation in tax matters wasn't necessarily going to be cheap. So the inability to recover costs in those circumstances is potentially a matter of access to justice. This is really an empirical question, and we don't know the answer to what extent it deters or facilitates it. Different people that we interviewed said different things. You have a schedule summarising a lot of the responses that you received on this question as attached as an appendix to your report. And it does seem from that that there has been a split of perspectives. But there is an overwhelming theme. 64% of respondents did mention that they had noticed a situation where 
the question of costs was a deterrent to accessing justice or potentially a pursuing an appeal. So how do we go about addressing that question? I think partly we address it through which cases are categorised as complex cases. A case is a complex case if it will require lengthy or complex evidence or a lengthy hearing, if it involves a complex or important principle or issue, or if it involves a large financial sum. Now, the case law on this says that this has to be seen in the context of the work of the tribunal. But when we actually look at how it's applied, very few cases are allocated to the complex category. And the threshold of what is a large financial sum seems especially high in the context of a tribunal that hears the bread and butter of its work being £100 penalty appeals. Whereas it would seem that there's no exact threshold, but the sense that people have is that a large financial sum is somewhat in excess of half a million for that to apply. Which does seem to be far removed from the £100 penalties. Yes. Many of our survey respondents did see the inability to recover costs as being something which deterred people pursuing litigation. Others saw, conversely, the ability for costs to be awarded against them if they pursued the matter to the upper tribunal, something that deterred appeals, potentially even people who were successful before the first-tier tribunal. It cuts both ways. Under the VAT and duties tribunal, one of the predecessor regimes, there was actually a one-way cost-shifting rule in favour of the taxpayer. So the taxpayer could recover their costs, but HMRC wouldn't recover costs if they were successful. But when the tribunals are integrated, HMRC was adamant that they weren't willing to preserve that in any way in the new system. It's difficult to know where the threshold should be. Where the procedure rules place it is they say a case can be a complex case. And in complex cases, then the taxpayer has a right to elect out of the cost-shifting regime, which would otherwise apply. The report talks about the question of judicial training and judicial specialisms in particular, and whether or not everyone who's appointed to the tax tribunal should be able to hear every case that comes before the tax tribunal. What were the issues that were noticed around this particular issue? Well, of course, the first thing is that the Supreme Court and others have repeatedly emphasised that the tribunals are specialist tribunals. They therefore have a degree of deference accorded to them because of their specialist status. At the moment, the tribunal operates a ticketing system. So not every judge is accorded the responsibility of hearing all sorts of the different cases that the tribunal hears. There are four levels of ticketing in the tribunal. That ticketing only applies to the fee-paid judiciary. That's essentially the ones who have other jobs. The salaried judges can hear all the different cases, as well as lots of their work, as we've said, being a great deal of case management. Not all of the survey respondents were entirely happy with the allocation of particular judges to particular cases. So, some things can easily be learned if you've not dealt with them in practice. For example, the hearing of the penalty appeals and many of these things that are the bread and butter work of the tribunal, that the relevant law can be easily learned. Whereas there are other matters where you may not 
well be familiar with that, even if you're an extremely experienced tax practitioner because of the nature of specialisation. So there are many people who practice, say, exclusively in VAT or don't do any VAT. So the issue is, to what extent should the judge hearing the case be a specialist? And there were, again, a variety of different views expressed by the respondents. Some people felt that it was highly desirable that they were specialists within that particular sub-area. Other people felt that level of specialism may actually be undesirable to an extent. Others felt that the most important thing was that they were simply good lawyers rather than specialists in a particular area of law. So the ability to understand statute and engage with issues of statutory interpretation and the application of case law. In general, there was a feeling that there were varying levels of ability within the judiciary. I noted in the report that there was a question around whether or not the judges were sufficiently prepared for the hearings, whether or not they had enough time to do the reading in that was necessary and to properly grapple with the issues. Some questioning whether that would assist them in the case management and eventual decision making. What was your view on that? I was somewhat surprised. Several interviewees told me that some of their experiences in the first tier tribunal involved judges in multi-day hearings sitting through the case without asking any questions at all. And the interviewees inferred from that that they weren't sufficiently prepared for that particular hearing. If there isn't sufficient resource in terms of time, then perhaps there aren't sufficient preparation days being given to the salaried judiciary to allow familiarisation with the papers prior to the hearing. In the case of the fee-paid judiciary, of course, that's a different issue. And so what recommendations does the report make in relation to the additional allocation of resources and potentially training that is needed to address these questions? What the report recommends, as an earlier report by the Tax Law Review Committee recommended a decade or more ago, the recruitment to the tribunal should be a specialist recruitment exercise in relation to tax. At present, it's part of a general recruitment exercise for the first-tier tribunal, and only after appointment are people allocated to particular chambers. So the report recommends, which I obviously agree with, that it should be a specialist recruitment exercise, as is done for the upper tribunal. When they're recruiting tax judges to the upper tribunal, it's a tax-specific recruitment exercise where they ask for an example of written work. So it would seem reasonable, especially in terms of the judges to hear the more complex cases. So if we differentiate between the penalty appeals and the cases that involve significantly complex issues of legal interpretation. For the latter category, those complex cases, it would make sense to appoint people who already have a specialist knowledge of tax law, you see. That would seem to be a sensible approach, yes. What about 
the complicated issue that usually arises in any question of access to justice about those who appear in person. The respondents suggested that 51% had encountered a situation where the taxpayer did not have the ability to access justice through the tribunal process because of possibly a question of equality of arms. How can we go about addressing this and what specifically is there to address? This is, of course, a very major issue, partly because the majority of people who appear before the tax tribunals will be unrepresented. There are a number of ways which this could be addressed. One way, in terms of the more complex appeals, is through helping them through representation. Lots of the tax charities do offer advice on tax matters. But at the moment, there doesn't seem to be that much in terms of the representation of taxpayers at the tribunal. Obviously, there are many occasions where barristers do appear pro bono. The Chancery Bar Association has essentially a duty scheme that they operate at the High Court, where a barrister is available each day to speak to any litigants in person offer advice and represent them. And similarly, we speculate that it would be amazing if such a scheme could operate in relation to the first-tier tribunal. Obviously, the tax bar is far smaller than the chancery bar. However, because it's a tribunal, you don't need to be a barrister or have higher rights of audience to appear before it. And so the category that such a scheme could draw on um, tax professionals is far wider. So in the long term, we think this would be something to consider, at least. But we do also note that in many ways, the tribunal judges operate in a more inquisitorial manner when litigants in person appear before them. They offer them substantial assistance already in helping to understand the issues that are engaged in that particular case. And I believe that one of the proposals that's also been suggested is that there be made available to litigants in person via the tax tribunal's website instructional videos and greater access to resources in order to better prepare them. Is that something that you think would be important going forward? I think this is really important because for many of the people who will appear before the tribunal, they won't understand what it will look like, what it will involve. And so merely having a video which shows them what the tribunal courtroom looks like, or indeed if it's on a video platform, what the video platform looks like, what a sort of hearing looks and feels like, so they're not nervous when they go there. Also, I think it would be helpful if such videos address some of the issues taxpayers are likely to encounter when they present their case what sort of evidence that they will be expected to bring to prove their case. Ways for them to achieve their best evidence, for example. Exactly. And what about the question of adoption of technology? Obviously, we are sitting still in the tail end of the COVID pandemic, and that has changed the way in which a lot of things have been required to operate. And long-time listeners will be familiar with the president of the First Tier Tax Tribunal and his discussion about the First Tier Tax Tribunal taking up, for example, electronic bundles and listings. How do we see that going forward? And is that something that you would recommend that the tribunals look into further? 
Certainly. This was a major concern of the interviewees. And the tribunal is moving very much towards that with the adaptation of electronic filing. Many of the concerns that tribunal users had with the tribunal administration and delay in terms of filing documents and sending documents out will be resolved very shortly through the adaptation of this technology. It's not merely in terms of the filing of documents, of course, but the hearings themselves. And in the report, we discuss how short video hearings may well be a good way of replacing many of the default paper cases that presently are used because taxpayers who've not really been involved with any tribunal or that much with tax in the past may not be good at presenting their case and understand what sort of matters they need to raise in their written pleadings. What a short video hearing would do would give them the opportunity to address any shortcomings that may be raised by the tribunal judge, who we've discussed will often adopt a more inquisitorial manner when encountering a litigant in person. There was also mention made in the report of the question about whether the balance between open access to justice and the privacy concerns of the taxpayer has been fairly struck. What were the concerns around that? The concerns there were that the predecessor tribunal, the special commissioners, was often very generous in terms of granting both hearings in private and anonymised decisions. However, the threshold it was felt had increased to the first-tier tribunal. And some lawyers felt that as were reluctant to pursue appeals, especially when they would involve the disclosure of personal circumstances of their living arrangements. There was a concern voiced by one or two respondents in relation to matters involving children. One of the respondents made a comment that taxpayers have expressed concerns of not wanting to expose their children to damage while not wanting to damage their case either. Is there in fact a problem? As I say, it appears from what some respondents have said, they feel there is a problem there. In terms of where children are involved, the anonymisation of decisions would appear to be the way forward, uh, potentially at the first tier at least. Or indeed, often it may well be a question of, is the evidence relating to children really required to be heard in that particular case? Also, Part of it would be through case management and determining whether or not that was really going to one of the issues in dispute. And that probably brings us back full circle to the questions of case management and judicial intervention. There was a feeling expressed by some of the respondents that possibly this didn't go quite far enough. Is that in fact a valid concern? Some of the respondents thought that there definitely did need to be better case management and partly Perhaps, if that is a concern, that could be addressed by training. On the whole, how are the tax tribunals doing and where do you see the next 10 years going? Overall, I think they're doing a very good job with quite limited resources at the moment in terms of especially what's the bread and butter of their work, which involves mostly litigants in person, they seem to be doing a lot to assist them and assist access to justice there with 
a more quisitorial approach. Undoubtedly, over the next 10 years, the major change will be a move in technology, partly with electronic filing of documents that will address many of the issues identified as a concern with the tribunal administration. Hopefully, there will be further recruitment of specialist judges. So I think there are many positive things that will hopefully occur over the next 10 years. Hopefully the report may well be able to inform some of those changes and developments with its recommendations. It sounds like a very positive note for the future. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for in this week's episode. Tune in next time for David Goldberg QC's Lockdown Musings on the Evolution of HMRC's Powers. Thank you very much to Dr Blackwell for taking us through this once-in-a-decade review of the tax tribunal system and the suggestions which are being made for its improvement. As mentioned, you can find the Tax Law Review Committee's report, The Tax Tribunals, the next 10 years, in our show notes. And you can find Dr Blackwell on Twitter at TaxMCB, again, at TaxMCB, and via email on m.c.blackwell at lse.ac.uk. If you have any questions for me or Dr Blackwell, or any topics you'd like us to cover in a future episode, please do email us on taxingmatters at rpc.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you. As ever, a big thank you goes to Josh McDonald, who does all of the work pulling each episode together. Our music is from musical genius Andrew Waterson, who also produces each episode. And of course, a big thank you to all of our listeners for joining us. If you like Taxing Matters, why not try RPC's other podcast offering, Insurance Covered, which looks at the inner workings of the insurance industry, hosted by the brilliant Peter Mansfield, and available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, and our website. If you like this episode, please do take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. And remember to tell a colleague about us. Thank you all for listening, and talk to you again in two weeks. Thank you.